1 Samuel chapter 24. Here at Calvary Chapel, we love to just go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible. We have been in 1 Samuel for several months now, and we're nearing the completion of our journey here. But for David, it's only just begun. This little kid, this ruddy shepherd that has been running around, going from his father's pastures to the king's court to before the Philistines, being used by God to slay Goliath, to being a captain of a thousand, to being the son-in-law of the king, to being chased like a thief and a traitor, has been running through his, for his life. He's been seeking God. He's been hiding himself in the presence of God. Just recently liberated the city of Cala from the north and finds himself again running for his life. Last chapter, we left off with David camped on one side of a hill, And King Saul camped on the other side of the hill. It was almost the end. And then God miraculously led Saul away to attack the Philistines who had invaded his land. It was at that hill that we saw that David, through the Psalms, had said that he hides himself, that all true safety comes from God. Not in the material, not in the geographic, not in our location, not in our finances, not in our strength, not in our... In his case, his swords or his men or his armor, it was all in God. So let's jump in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 24. Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. And then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. David has about 600 guys with him at this point. They, they ran from Calah, and then they got to the hill of escape, which they named when King Saul was led away. And now they've run all the way to En Gedi. And if you're like me, you're completely lost. Like, what are you talking about? Where's En Gedi? Calah? What's Gibeah? Didn't, didn't we, weren't in Gibeah a couple chapters ago? Where's Jerusalem in all this? Well, I broke down... I put in the map. Let's take a look. En Gedi is all the way to the end. I know it's tiny, but all you really got to see is the lines, the lines themselves. We started this journey of running away from Saul all the way at the top of the map in Gibeah. That's the furthest point up at the top. The orange line is that line that's going straight down the middle. That's when David went all the way down to Keilah. Keilah, the city, is there on the farthest point on the left. There's a little tiny flag, if you can see it. Everyone that's sitting in the front can see it. So if you're hiding comfortably in the back, next time you can come a little closer. But all the way there on Keilah to the left. And then they ran to the rock of escape. The hill of escape is all the way at the very bottom. Saul has been chasing David everywhere. He, can ju- he cannot catch this guy. Now, I want, you to, I want to put you in the sandals of these soldiers and these men. You are running everywhere. They're not jumping in the car. They don't, they're not in a bicycle. They're not even on paved roads. They're running everywhere on their own two feet, their own sandals. And now, David has hidden himself in Engedi, which is the furthest to the right. That's the Dead Sea there, and he's run all the way to that area, all the way on the furthest point, the bottom right-hand side, there by the Dead Sea. He thinks, oh, finally, I can get away from Saul. Finally, I can get away. Finally. 
all this running. But then here in verses 1 and 2, what do we see? They go right back to Saul and said, hey, listen, David is in, in Gedi now. And Saul is so incensed, he, doesn't, he will go to the ends of the world. He just fought a battle and defeated the Philistines. And he says, I've got to get this kid. This kid is a thorn in my side. He's going to take over the kingdom. I've got to get him. Remember from the last few chapters, David is his very best captain. David did nothing wrong. David did everything right. You ever feel like David? You're going through life and you're thinking, not again. Didn't I just fix this problem? What comes around goes around. When it rains, it pours. One thing after another. You ever said one of those things? And you you would think David would have figured, this is taken care of. I can go on to something else in my life. But here he comes again. Here it comes again. Whatever situation that it may be in your life where you thought you had that relationship fixed, you, you thought you had that problem taken care of, and it comes back again. You thought you were safe in your job. You thought, all right, I don't have to worry about this anymore. I can start thinking about retirement. And, for, and then the pink slip. Oh, you finally got rid of that family member. They moved away. You don't have to deal with them anymore. Now they're moving back. And it goes on and on and on. These situations and scenarios and battles, sometimes spiritually, with the enemy. You thought you had quit smoking 15 years ago. And all of a sudden, that urge is coming back again. You thought you had quit drinking three, four months ago. And the battle comes again. That's to put yourself in the feet of David. To be running all over the map, to get away from these problems, to put in the work, to put in the effort, to put in the sweat. Have you ever gone for a long hike? And then you finally sit down, and you're so hungry, and you're so sore. You know, you're just rubbing your hamstrings. You just can't get up. You wake up the next morning, and you're like, I cannot continue. Spiritually, it's the same thing with each and every one of us. It can be a real grind. We can get tired. This place of En Gedi, though, that David's hiding in now, is different than all the other places that David has hidden. It's in the middle of a desert there on the Dead Sea. It's arid. There's brush. It's very rocky. It's very hot. Uh, there's very little humidity just because it's so arid and dry. But in the middle of all this is this place in Getty. It is a green place. There's a creek that flows through it. There's waterfalls. It's lush. And if you put sentries around it, you can see people coming for miles because it's so dry and flat and arid. And here they are hiding in this oasis. And I saw some pictures. And it's so pretty. I just I had to hi- bring you one. Here's one right here. The waterfall flowing, the green around it. Now, if you take your eyes, uh, if you were to be able to pan away and look to the, the sides of this area, it's just dry desert. But he's being led to this place of refreshing. This is our rest right here in the scripture. It's to stand before God where who knows all things. He knows the beginning and the end. He sees the whole parade. He sees your whole map, your whole life in front of you. And you say to yourself, I can't believe I'm dealing with this problem again. Again, Lord? Again? But the Lord knows all things. He knows the trials you're going to go through. And what did David confess through all this in the last chapter? He said, my hope is in you, Lord. My safety is in 
you, Lord. You never change. You cannot be attacked. You cannot be wounded. You cannot be hurt. You cannot be chased away. You are afraid of nothing. There is nothing you don't know. All-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God. Sometimes, though, we think geography is going to change things. We think a paycheck is going to change things. We think a vacation. Isn't a vacation the biggest lie that we tell ourselves? Because we'll go on a trip somewhere. Oh, I got to escape. And you put more effort and more energy into that trip. And what do you say when you come home? I need a vacation from my vacation. I need to go to work to have a break from my vacation. But you needed your vacation because you needed a break from work. Right? All the lies we tell ourselves. If I can only get away. If I could only get some space. If I can only go to Engedi. You may be thinking right now, you saw that picture, you're like, I'm going to jump in a plane right now. I'm going to that place. Nothing will change. You'll have the same problems. You know why? Because the biggest problem you have, the number one greatest enemy that you have, your greatest problem, and the source of most of your problems will go with you wherever you go. You see it coming. It's because it's you and it's me. It's our choices. It's our needs. It's our desires. It's our wants. It's our sin nature. It's our deceitfully wicked hearts, the Bible tells us in the book of Jeremiah. And we take that wherever we go, whether you fly to Engedi or whether you're sitting in a uh, church chair in Bluffton, South Carolina. But there is only one hope. And it's found in God. It's found in resting in these scriptures. We just saw a beautiful picture, but the Bible paints a beautiful picture in the Psalms. When it says that the Lord will lead us to green pastures and still waters. When the Bible says that the Lord will prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And all that conflict, all that trial, all our problems, all that anxiety and confusion and fear that we have, the Lord says, hey, sit down, take a load off and have something to eat. I'll handle everything around. Just rest with me. Let's sit together. Let's eat. Let's take a moment. Let's take a moment. And the scripture says, be still. And know that I am God. But you may be the warrior in you, men and women. The warrior in you says, but wait a minute, I got to run. I got to sharpen my sword. Saul's coming and I know it. We got to handle this problem. Well, let's see what happens. Let's see. In verses 3 through 7 of this chapter. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave. And Saul went in to attend to his needs. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. Then the men of David said to him, This is the day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And now it happened afterward that David's heart was trouble, troubled him, because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. And so David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. 
And Saul got up from the cave and went his way. So there you're by the Dead Sea, you're in En Gedi. Saul has come. David's men know, and they say, okay, it's 3,000 against 600. Let's go hide. And it says they went to hide in the sheephold here in verse 3 through 7. What is he talking about? That means they found a cave so big that you could hide an entire flock of sheep at night in. And so all 600 men are in the back of this cave, this dark cave. Shh, 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 don't say. They're going by. They're going by. You hear them? Yeah, I hear them. Just be quiet. Just be quiet. Now, they're fearing for their lives now. This isn't just some uh, poetic illustration here. They are literally, some men are ready to fight. They're gripping their, their swords and their spears. Some men are cowering in fear. Everyone's anxious and nervous. And then can you imagine, outside, Saul in all his power and his authority as king, he has like what we call in the South, he has a little bubble gut going on. And he has to go find himself. He's got his guards, his royal apparel. He says, man, I got to go. Uh, hold up for a minute, guys. And he goes and he walks and finds a cave. I can see his guards trying to follow him. Like, you want us to go with you, right? No, 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 you don't want to be a part of this. I got to just hide by myself. He goes into a cave. Of all the caves, of all the caves, it's the cave where David and 600 men are hiding. And Saul walks into this dark cave. He's thinking about, you know, you know the run, the run to the, where's the nearest restroom? You're in the restaurant, you're like, oh my gosh, I've got to do this. I love how practical the, the Bible is, how real it is. There's nothing too small for the Lord. And this is what is so important to notice about this. You have something so mundane, so not spiritual, right? If there's anything that is the farthest away from what we think is spiritual, it's going to the bathroom. And God has a divine appointment with Saul, penciled in to his book. I'm going to meet with Saul. I have a message for him when he is going to the bathroom. We may think in our lives that there's things that are God's not interested in. There's portions that are too dirty, too filthy, too stinky for God to get his hands in. I'm being metaphoric, you know, don't take that too far. But God says, I have an appointment with you, right in the biggest mess that you have. The biggest thing that you got, I am there, I got a word for you. And so there's Saul, he's walking in, takes his robe off or, or puts it to the side. He kneels down and David sees him. And his guys are like elbowing him. They're like kicking him under the table. Get your sword up. They're looking at each other. Their eyes are. And they, they're looking at him. And they give him some really wise, sound, practical advice. God has delivered him. Everyone can see it. God has brought him here. This is impossible that this would happen right here. Take care of it, David. We go home free. You'll be king. Just like that. A opportunity like no other. Just take the opportunity and run. I don't know when David makes up his mind, but he takes out his sword and he starts to creep. This is a man who killed 200 by, him, by himself as a wedding present. I mean, this guy, he can get the job done. He, he's crawling up behind him. I feel the tension as I'm reading the text, I feel the anxiety, the nervousness. Is he, all Saul has to do is cry out. 3,000 men will rush the cave. There's no escape. 
Saul's men would slaughter all the men of David. And he cuts the corner of his robe instead and walks away. What are you thinking, David? What's your problem, David? You have been chased up and down Israel. God has told you to your face that you're going to take over for King Saul, that you're the Lord's anointed now. But even holding that portion of his robe makes David upset. In verse 6, David said, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is anointed of the Lord. He's upset that he even cut his robe because the robe is a symbol of, God, of, of Saul's authority. You know, sometimes what we think is a perfect opportunity, an opportunity to escape, an opportunity to, to leave, an opportunity to advance, is really a test. It's not an opportunity at all. I had this happen to me when I was um, preparing to go, come out to Calvary Chapel, Low Country, which didn't exist at that time. And uh, we had prayed. We had confirmation, my wife and I, to come out here. We were preparing to come out here. And my boss came to me and offered me a huge raise. If I, he didn't even know I was leaving, but they offered me a big raise to stay. And it, I would have been very financially comfortable if I had stayed. It was a big opportunity. It, it was a test. You see, I realized that the Lord was showing me that I didn't need to escape to South Carolina. I had the opportunity to come to South Carolina and that the Lord would bless me regardless of the decision that I made. Some people, they go into ministry to run away from problems, to get away from problems, to escape a reality. And the Lord gave me a test to say, hey, if you're doing this, if you're trusting me, this is because you chose to. I didn't make you. And I quietly turned it down. And then they were even more shocked when I put in a two weeks notice later on. David has just such a test in front of him. What kind of man are you, David? What kind of leader will you be? What kind of follower of God are you? He takes that opportunity, turns to his men and says, no matter what we think, no matter what we feel, God is working. We're on God's timing, not our timing. He is the Lord's anointed. And if we honor the Lord, we are not going to touch him. When it says there in verse 7, so David restrained his servants with these words, that word restrain there is very aggressive. It means that David, with all his might, with all his authority, had to tell his men, I am ordering you right now. Do not. Those guys had the swords out. They're like, fine, David, you don't do it. We're going to take care of you. We're going to protect you, David, because you've gone off the reservation. You've gone crazy because he's right there. Fine. And David has to say, with all of his might, I'm the boss. Go sit back down. We are not doing this. It, it means restrained with ag- aggression, all his authority and power to tell him no. Why is that so difficult? Why is that so difficult when we all serve the Lord? Because the advice that they gave David 
makes absolute perfect practical sense, doesn't it? God delivered him. Kill him, David. We'll be done. You'll be king. We're doing this for you. But David is following the Lord. There is a picture here in this chapter that is so foreign to Westerners. And what is it? It is submitting to authority and leadership even when it doesn't make much sense. Even when your idea may be the better idea. Even when your idea is more practical. If God is leading in that situation, when God is the leader, we need to be following Him. We need to be following the leader that God's appointed. Does that mean to not confront Him? Does that mean to not come and talk to Him? Does that mean to not, um, if the guy's in doctrinal error, not to discuss that with that leader? Of course not. They're confronting Him right now. They're bringing it to His attention. And they're having a heated discussion. But at the end of the day, they do submit to David. You're thinking like, that, that just doesn't make any sense. Oh, then you're really going to get lost here in a moment. Let's continue. Let's continue in verses 8 through 15. David also arose afterward, went out of the cave, and called out to Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Indeed, David seeks your harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you into my hand in the cave. And someone urged me to kill you, but my eye spared you and said, I will not stretch out my hand against the Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and yet I have not sinned against you. Yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord, ju- the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you. But my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients say, wickedness proceeds from the wicked. But my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? Therefore let the Lord be judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. Verse. You're, you're thinking to yourself, are you kidding me? David has committed suicide right now by faith. David walks out of this cave by himself, confronts David, 3,000 men outside. David comes outside and says, bows twice to King Saul, has a conversation with him. You know, why are you chasing me? I'm your greatest servant. I've done nothing wrong. You are the king. You are the Lord's anointed. You are the master. He bows down to Saul's authority. He tried to kill him twice in the scriptures that we know. Literally threw a spear at his head, tried to kill him. Chased him separated him from his wife and 
his children if he had had any at the time. Chased him up and down all of Israel. And David went out of his way to help Saul, liberated Kalah, then he had to run away from them. And after all that, he could have just sat in that cave, he could have just not touched him, he comes out and he yields himself to Saul's authority. That makes absolutely no practical sense at all. No practical sense at all. But we see in Proverbs 10, 12, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, and above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. If there is anyone that has shown love and compassion on a leader and tried to cover and protect them, it is David in his relationship with Saul. And David is not just ordering his men to submit, he is showing them what true submission is. Our perfect example of submitting to authority is Jesus Christ submitting to the Father's will. And the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing what has happened, knowing the cup he was going to drink, he asked the Father, Lord, is there another way? Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And submitted himself to the Father unto death. Submission to authority is so foreign, especially younger people. My age, millennials and below, We are taught to question everything. We are taught to question everyone. We're taught to buck authority at all times. That authority is bad. The scripture, our relationship with God, tells us otherwise. Never is it told in scripture that we're not supposed to understand. The prophet Isaiah was told by the Lord, come, let us reason together. But at the end of the day, we are all called to submit to authority in perfect order and in perfect harmony, whether it's the Christian home, the Christian church, the family of God, the kingdom of God. But we have to do it. We have to take a risk of faith to submit, to bow the knee, to humble ourselves. The risk that David has just taken is with his life, his very life. I don't think I could do it. I don't think I could do it at all. And what is the response there? After taking this risk in verses 16 to 22. So it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul that Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Then he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me, for when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel 
shall be established in your hand. Therefore, swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. And so David swore to Saul and Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Saul has this radical transformation right in front of David. David is begging Saul. Do you see that David is even covering Saul there in that conversation? He said to Saul, your servants are telling you that I'm your enemy, but I'm not your enemy. He doesn't say, Saul, you are crazy and you're disobedient from the law of the Lord. That's why you've gone off and you've lost everything. No, he says, oh, you must be getting bad counsel, Saul. And Saul, he's seeing this, and he's seeing David holding this piece of his robe right in front of him, right in front of his face. And I guarantee you that Saul is remembering another time he had a piece of robe in his hand. What time is he remembering? Back in chapter 15. And Samuel turned around to go away, and Saul seized the edge of his robe and tore it. So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And here we are some time later, and it is King, soon to be David, soon to be King David holding this robe right in front of him, just a bold smack-in-the-face reminder of all that Saul has lost and all of his disobedience. And he says, I'm not your enemy. Look, I could have killed you, and I didn't. You're my master. You're my leader And Saul just completely breaks down with this image in front of him. He has a moment of clarity, a moment of change. Listen, in the beginning of this sermon, we talked about how it's coming around again. You know, we have another issue. We have another problem. We have another thing that we're trying to run from, fight from, escape from. And and every once in a while, every Sunday I pray, every Wednesday or every time you're in the Word, you have a moment of clarity. I have to trust the Lord more. I have to read more. I have to make a choice. Saul is seeing that. He is not going to change, though. It's for a second. It's for a moment, and he's going to go right back to pursuing David. It's not going to stick. He's not going to make a change. What made him change in this moment? He has just had a near-death experience. Because he realizes that that sword was inches away from his neck and his heart. He would be dead. And Saul knows in his mind, if I were David, I would be dead. If Saul's putting himself in the position of David, Saul would have taken that. He wouldn't have thought twice, would he? Knowing Saul's character being with him for all these chapters, he wouldn't have thought twice. It would have been over. But David didn't make that decision. David is different. David truly does trust the Lord because David has a promise from God that he is going to be king, that he is anointed, and he's going to trust God to do it and not his own hand. He will not make it happen. He will wait on the Lord for it to happen. Not only is David now waiting on God to be his fortress, his high tower, his strength, his safety, his security, he is now waiting on God to accomplish all that he's pros- all that he's been promised, his future, things that God has gifted him, the things that are going to be accomplished. He's going to wait 
and see God do it. Don't be a Saul. Chapter after chapter, we've had two decisions. Be like Saul, be like David. Wait on, trust in, seek the Lord, stay in his word, wait on his promises. Saul, make it happen, will it to happen, force it to happen. You first and everybody else second. Are you willing to take a risk like David and to lay Lay it down before the Lord. Will you be a saw and for a moment have clarity and and just have peace and know right now in your seat, where you are right now, the Lord's speaking to you, you need to change something. Something's wrong. You're on the wrong path. And then are you just going to go right back to it? There's a quote from Alan Redpath in his commentary. What a miserable picture Saul is. What is the use of saying, I have played the fool? If he goes on playing the fool, what use are his tears and confession before David if he doesn't act upon his remorse? Will we be the same? Is this pastor from the 1800s, Redpath, actually I think it's early 1900s, is he talking about us or is he talking about Saul? Is he talking about us or is he talking about Saul? You know, I have seen people go to a conference and just give themselves on fire for the Lord. They, had a, they changed. I've seen people have a near-death experience, almost lose a child. Nothing makes somebody a prayer warrior than when someone in their family, near family, is hurt. They will not go to work. They'll be praying. They'll be fasting. They'll be getting all their brothers and sisters to pray. They're texting for people to pray. Every, everything stops. They're a prayer warrior. And then the Lord answers their prayer, and they get healed, and then it's just right back to normal again. I'll pray when something's wrong. I'll dust that book off when I'm in trouble. Visited people in the hospital, same thing. They talk, They call me. They want me to t- they talk to me. They want me to come hold their hand. We talk about God. Suddenly God's near. We're talking about heaven. We're talking about choices. We're talking about unsaved family members. And there's just a change. And then the Lord delivers them and they get healed and they go home and then they lose my number. And then they're gone. It happens. But there's some people, though. There's some people that have a moment like this in their life or they hear a Bible study or they go to a sermon, just one, and they make a life change. They make a life change that lasts and it stays. And they start reading the Bible. They start evangelizing. They start fellowshipping. They start serving. They start trusting God. Their countenance changed. Their mind changes. Their goals change. Their whole life is radically changed one thing at a time, and it sticks, and it stays. And it's usually the person that nobody ever thinks it would be that person. It's usually the person that's cast off. It's usually the person like, oh, they'll come once or twice and we'll never see them again. Oh, this is probably a phase. Oh, I'm looking forward to them. And then the next thing you know, they're a pastor in the deep south in a town called Bluffton teaching the Bible. And you're like, I didn't think, what? That guy? That guy, what? It's because it's, it's that simple. The, lo- the Lord uses the foolish the things of this world to confound the wise. We need to go all the way back to First Samuel. That's why we keep everything in its context and we stay in the world. Is a dumb, ruddy, red-headed kid watching some sheep. That's where he came from. That's his background. Uneducated, cast off, 
a nothing, a nobody. His father thought so little of him. He didn't even bring him out when the prophet came around. It's like, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cinderella, Cinderella, stick with the chores. But Samuel just kept saying, nope, not this one, not this one. Bring him out, bring him out. Oh, yeah, I got one more. Could you imagine your father saying that about you? Oh, yeah, I got one more kid out there. You know, you couldn't possibly meet him. Okay, I guess we'll bring him out here. You'll see, you'll see. He's like, he's short, he's the runt. He's the lowest. Samuel said, the Lord told Samuel right there, this is the man. This is who I want to use. And now you fast forward after all these trials and all these victories and all these battles. We, come on, we expect these amazing things out of David, don't we, by now? It's like, wow, David, that's radical, but that's who you are. That's the key. That's not who he is. He is somebody that God has formed and transformed and made into the superhuman person, this superhero that as a little kid goes before Goliath. And God will do the exact same thing in you. He will transform you. He will mold you. But will you take the steps? Will you walk the path? Will you walk all that? You think that David's mighty men would have followed him if they knew how much, how many miles they would have to cover? Do you think they would follow him if they knew how many battles, how many towns they would liberate and then run away from? Because they had no idea. What did they do? They had to do what we do. They walked by faith and not by sight. And they trusted David, even when they wanted to beat him over the head. Because what he was doing seemed like the dumbest thing in the world. They followed him. And the Lord continued to confirm that anointing and continued to confirm. And so then finally, what precedent has David set? When David does become king and the men that have followed him And they have to follow a new king. No one's going to try and bump him off to be king. Why? Because they saw David. They saw what true leadership and true service and true discipline is. What true service to the Lord is. To humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And in due time, he, emphasis on God, will exalt you, not man. And with that, we're going to close this morning and go before the Lord and pray that he would show us our path, our step-by-step, our walk of faith and not by sight. And you will have to make a choice today. Will I stay on the long path or will I take the short exit? Is the opportunity that's before me truly an opportunity or is it a test? Let's pray. Father God, we we just thank you so much for leading us through David's sandals, Lord, leading us through your scripture. We pray you would continue to teach us and to guide us and to use us and to mold us more and more into your image, Lord. And I am just so excited, as everyone can tell, Father, I'm just so excited to see the everyday, to see the step-by-step, to see the test, to see the growth, to see the movement of your Spirit, to see the working of your Word, Lord. I pray, as I pray every Sunday, Lord, I just pray somebody's life would be changed by your teaching, by your Word, and your empowering. That someone would choose you today, just, just like little David, Lord and that we would see great things. We just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.